Book Four, Chapter Thirteen of Last Days of Pompeii. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ben Wilford. Last Days of Pompeii by Edward G. Bulwer Lytton. Book Four, Chapter Thirteen. Chapter Thirteen: The Slave Consults the Oracle. They who blind themselves in the blind may fool. Two new prisoners made in one night. Impatiently, Nadia awaited the arrival of the no less anxious Socia. Fortifying his courage by plentiful potations of a better liquor than that provided for the demon, the credulous ministrant stole into the blind girl's chamber. Well, Socia, art thou prepared? Hast thou the bowl of pure water? Verily, yes, but I tremble a little. You are sure I shall not see the demon? I have heard that these gentlemen are by no means of a handsome person or a civil demeanor. Be assured. And hast thou left the garden gate gently open? Yes, and placed some beautiful nuts and apples on a little table close by. That's well, and the gate is open now, so that the demon may pass through it? Surely it is. Well, then, open this door. There, leave it just ajar. And now, Socia, give me the lamp. What? You will not extinguish it? No, but I must breathe my spell over its rays. There is a spirit in fire. Seat thyself. The slave obeyed, and Nadia, after bending for some moments silently over the lamp, rose and in a low voice chanted the following rude invocation to the spectra of the air, loved alike by air and water, I must be Thessalia's daughter. To us, Olympian hearts, are given bells that draw the moon from heaven. All that Egypt's learning wrought, all that Persia's Magian taught, one from song or rung from flowers, or whispered low by fiend, are ours. Spectra of the viewless air, hear the blind Thessalian's prayer. By earth those art that shed dews of life when life was fled by lone ithaca's wise king who could wake the crystal spring to the voice of prophecy by the lost eurydices summoned from the shadowy throng as the muse song's magic song by the calchian's awful charm when fair-haired jason left her arm spectre of the airy halls one who owns thee duly calls breathe alone the brimming bowl and instruct the fearful soul in the shadowy things that lie dark and dim futurity come wild demon of the air answer to thy vulturies prayer come o come and no god on heaven or earth nor the paphians queen of mirth not the vivid lord of light nor the triple maid of night nor the thunderer's self shall be blessed and honored more than thee come o come the spectre is certainly coming said socia i feel him running along my hair place a bowl of water on the ground now then give me thy napkin and let me fold upon thy face and eyes ay that's always the custom with these charms not so tight though gently gently there thou canst not see see by jupiter no nothing but darkness address then to the spectre whatever question thou wouldst ask him in a low whispered voice three times if thy question is answered in the affirmative thou wilt hear the water ferment and bubble before the demon breathes upon it 
if in the negative the water will be quite silent but you will not play any trick with the water eh let me place the bowl under thy feet so now thou wilt perceive that i cannot touch it without thy knowledge very fair now then o bacchus befriend me thou knowest that i have always loved thee better than all the other gods and i will dedicate to thee that silver cup i stole last year from the burly carpenter butler if thou wilt but befriend me with this water-loving demon and thou o spirit listen and hear me shall i be enabled to purchase my freedom next year thou knowest for as thou livest in the air the birds have doubtless acquainted thee with every secret of this house thou knowest that i have filched and pilfered all that i honestly that is safely could lay finger upon for the last three years and i yet want two thousand sesterces of the full sum shall i be able o good spirit to make up the deficiency in the course of this year speak ha does the water bubble no all this as still as a tune well then if not this year in two years ah i hear something the demon is scratching at the door he'll be here presently in two years my good fellow come now two that's a very reasonable time what dumb still two years and a half three four ill fortune to you friend demon you are not a lady that's clear or you would not keep silent so long five six sixty years and may pluto seize you i'll ask no more and socia in a rage kicked down the water over his legs he then after much fumbling and more cursing managed to extricate his head from the napkin in which it was completely folded stared round and discovered that he was in the dark what ho nadia the lamp is gone ah traitress and thou art gone too but i'll catch thee thou shalt smart for this the slave groped his way to the door it was bolted from without he was a prisoner instead of nadia what could he do he did not dare to knock loud to call out lest arbiters should overhear him and discover how he had been duped and nadia meanwhile had probably already gained the garden gate and was fast on her escape but thought he she will go home or at least be somewhere in the city to-morrow at dawn when the slaves are at work in the prestile i can make myself heard then i can go forth and seek her i shall be sure to find and bring her back before arbaces knows a word of the matter ah that's the best plan little traitress my fingers itch at thee and to leave only a bowl of water too had it been wine it would have been some comfort while socia thus entrapped was lamenting his fate and revolving his schemes to repossess himself of nadia the blind girl with that singular precision and dexterous rapidity of motion which we have before observed was peculiar to her had passed lightly along the peristyle threaded the opposite passage that led into the garden and with a beating heart was about to proceed towards the gate when she suddenly heard the sound of approaching steps and distinguished the dreaded voice of arbaces himself she paused for a moment in doubt and terror then suddenly it flashed across her recollection that there was another passage which was little used except for the admission of the fair partakers 
of the Egyptian secret revels, of which wound along the basement of that massive fabric towards a door, which also communicated with the garden. By good fortune it might be open. At that thought she hastily retraced her steps, descended the narrow stairs at the right, and was soon at the entrance of the passage. Alas, the door at the entrance was closed and secured. While she was yet assuring herself that it was indeed locked, she heard behind her the voice of Kalinas, and a moment after that of Arbuses in a low reply. She could not stay there. They were probably passing through that very door. She sprang onward and felt herself in unknown ground. The air grew damp and chill. This reassured her. She thought she might be among the cellars of the luxurious mansion, or, at least, in some rude spot not likely to be visited by its haughty lord. When again her quick ear caught steps and the sound of voices. On, on, she hurried, extending her arms, which now frequently encountered pillars of thick and massive form. With a tack, doubled in acuteness by her fear, she escaped these pearls and continued her way, the air growing more and more damp as she proceeded. Yet, still, as she ever and anon paused for breath, she heard the advancing steps and an indistinct murmur of voices. At length she was abruptly stopped by a wall that seemed the limit of her path. Was there no spot in which she could hide? No apertures? No cavity? There was none. She stopped and wrung her hands in despair. Then again, nerved as the voices neared upon her, she hurried on by the side of the wall, and coming suddenly against one of the sharp buttresses that here and there jutted boldly forth, she fell to the ground. Though much bruised, her senses did not leave her. She uttered no cry. Nay, she hailed the accident that had led her to something like a screen, and creeping close up to the angle formed by the buttress, so that on one side at least she was sheltered from view. She gathered her slight and small form into a smallest compass and breathlessly awaited her fate. Meanwhile, Arbuses and the priest were taking their way to that secret chamber whose stores were so vaulted by the Egyptians. They were in a vast subterranean atrium, or hall. The low roof was supported by short, thick pillars of an architecture far remote from the Grecian graces of that luxuriant period. The single and pale lamp, which Arbuses bore, shed but an imperfect ray over the bare and rugged walls in which the huge stones, without cement, were fitted curiously and uncouthly into each other. The disturbed reptiles glared dearly on the intruders and then crept into the shadow of the walls. Kalina shivered as he looked around and breathed the damp, unwholesome air. Yet, said Arbuses, with a smile, perceiving his shudder, it is these rude bones that furnish the luxuries of the hall above. They are like the laborers of the world. We despise their ruggedness, yet they feed the very pride that disdains them. And whither goes yon dim gallery to the left, asked Kalinus. In this depth of gloom it seems without limit, as if winding into Hades. On the contrary, it does but conduct to the upper rooms, answered Arbuses carelessly. It is to the right that we steer to our bourne. The hall, like many in the more habitable regions of Pompeii, branched off at the extremities into two wings or passages, the length of which, not really great, was to the eye considerably exaggerated by the sudden gloom against which the lamp so faintly struggled. To the right of these allay, the two comrades now directed their steps. The gay Glaucus would be lodged to-morrow in apartments not much drier, 
and far less spacious than this said Calenus, as they passed by the very spot where completely wrapped in the shadow of the broad projecting buttress cowered the thessalian ay but then he will have dry room and ample enough in the arena on the following day and to think continued arbacius slowly and very deliberately to think that a word of thine could save him and consign arbacius to his doom that word shall never be spoken said calenus right my calenus it shall never returned arbacius familiarly leaning his arm on the priest's shoulder and now halt we are at the door the light trembled against a small door deep set in the wall and guarded strongly by the many plates and bindings of the iron that intersected the rough and dark wood from his girdle arbacius now drew a small ring holding three or four short but strong keys oh how beat the gripping heart of calenus as he heard the rusty wars growl as if resenting the admission to the treasures they guarded enter my friend said arbacius while i hold the lamp on high that thou mayest glut thine eyes on the yellow heap the impatient calenus did not wait to be twice invited he hastened towards the aperture scarce as he crossed the threshold than the strong hand of arbacius plunged him forwards the word shall never be spoken said the egyptian with a loud exuberant laugh and closed the door upon the priest calenus had been precipitated down several steps but not feeling at the moment the pain of his fall he sprung up again to the door and beating at it fiercely with his clenched fist he cried aloud in what seemed more a beast's howl than a human voice so keen was his agony and despair oh release me release me i will ask no gold the words but imperfectly penetrated the massive door and arbuses again laughed then stamping his foot violently rejoined perhaps to give vent to his long stifled passions all the gold of dalmedia cried he will not buy thee a crust of bread starve wretch thy dying groans will never wake even the echo of these vast halls nor the air ever reveal as thou knowest in thy desperate famine thy flesh from thy bones that so perishes the man who threatened and could have undone arbuses farewell oh pity mercy inhuman villain was it for this the rest of the sentence was lost to the ear of arbuses as he passed backward along the dim hall a toad plump and bloated lay unmoving before his path the rays of the lamp fell upon his unshaped hideousness and red upward eye arbuses turned aside that he might not harm it thou art loathsome and obscene he muttered but thou canst not injure me therefore thou art safe in my path the cries of calenus dulled and choked by the barrier that confined him yet faintly reached the ear of the egyptian he paused and listened intently this is unfortunate thought he for i cannot sail till that voice is dumb for ever my stores and treasures lie not in yon dungeon it is true but in the opposite wing my slaves as they move them must not hear his voice but what fear of that in three days if he still survive his accents by my father's beard must be weak enough then no they could not pierce even through this tomb by isis it is cold i long for a deep draught of the spice falernian with that 
the remorseless Egyptian drew his gown closer around him and resought the upper air. End of Book 4, Chapter 13 Recording by Ben Wilford of Jackson, Tennessee